This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Live from the Fireside app, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and have you ever flown solo across the Atlantic? Today's the day Amelia Earhart became the first woman to do just that in 1932. To help you fly solo in your business, we welcome the author of Small Business Finance for the Busy Entrepreneur, Sylvia Mo Inks. We also have the pilot of financial independence, Paula Pant. And the man who was there at the airfield cheering when Amelia Earhart landed from LenPenzo.com. It's the Len Penzo. We'll also talk about when to pivot in your career, and then I'll fly in with my trivia. And now, a guy who's your co-pilot on your flight to Benjamin Land, Joe Saul Sihai. And it's Saturday and you're wondering what we're doing here. Well, I'll tell you what we're doing here. We're here to entertain you on the weekend. But don't get used to it. This is a, it's kind of a one-time deal. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And we have a very special episode today because it's Del Podference Week. And we had a special Del Podference episode, which means we had to have our roundtable kind of continuing the discussion of small businesses and what to do if you decide that, you know what, maybe this idea of working the nine to five for somebody else isn't for me anymore. So let's introduce our team. We'll start with uh, the gentleman who is deep under Los Angeles. Mr. Len Penzo joins us. You know, I want to know what is going on with Doug. I think this is the first time in in probably 6,000 episodes that you didn't say it was somebody else other than me uh, sitting in I think Doug. I think Doug chime in on this, but we thought it was funny (laughs) enough that you were there when Amelia Earhart landed. Yeah, I I mean, I just I got to space out my digs at you, Len, and I figured that you know the 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 major old guy joke was enough. I didn't want to throw in Amelia's mechanic. (laughs) Okay. Well, then you're forgiven, Doug. How was it when you were there, Len? Tell us about when Amelia landed. (laughs) Was it in color? Was there? Did was everything just gray? Did you take the horse and buggy there? You know what? They did find Amelia. I, I do believe they found Amelia Earhart. They found the atoll. Where they she think they landed. did. Yeah. And you know, by the I'm way, Len, this wasn't th- this wasn't that flight. This was the flight over the Atlantic. It's <laughs> a much more triumphant day. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's right. Not the day when she inadvertently landed. The day that she she did triumphantly. Uh, and here from Afford Anything, our friend in New York City, Paula Pant. 
What's the opposite of inadvertent? Is it vertent? Vert, vertent. Vertently landed? Yes. She vertently landed in Europe. I, I don't know. Is it, is, is it advert, like adverb? Advertent? I don't. Advertent? I don't. Hmm. Yeah. So, don't so are you saying that we can get rid of the word inadvertent? Uh, no, no. I, I, I think we not still need it. Not, I'm not even inadvertently saying that. It's actually what, uh, purposefully, Paul, right? It's purposefully. What, what, what's up with Paula? I mean, today, before in the, in the pre-show there, Paula, you were giving us another word. Oh, what was your other word of the well, day? Yes, that was the vocabulary word yes. of the pre-show. Oh, what, what are you doing, Paula? I know, right? I'm just right. sitting around reading the dictionary all day long. I guess so. She's got six words that she's going to practice on us today, everybody, and she's two in. She's only got four more to go, I'm sure. Yes. Look at that efficacy. <laughs> and, oh my, and now she's three in. <laughs> and, and, the, and the woman who was wondering what the heck she's doing here. It's about time we got her here. We rarely talk about the intersection where she lives, which is where entrepreneurs and business owners live. Sylvia Mo Inc. Sylvia Inks is here. How are you? I am great, Joe. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, it's about time. How long have we been talking about this? I think like five years. Probably about five years. Yes. I first met you in FinCon in Charlotte. That was oh my the first year I started my business. Goodness. Did I have hair back then? You did. You did. <laughs> yes. It's been a long time then, Sylvia. So tell everybody about your financial coaching because you help people do exactly what we're talking about today. Yes, absolutely. So I help small business owners who are great. They have a great product. They have a great service, but a lot of them are secretly struggling with their finances. And it's very similar to personal finances where business owners don't know how much they're making or how much they're spending. And so they're not as profitable as they should or want to be. What a perfect day to have you here because we'd love to help people get off on the right foot and not have some of the pain, Sylvia, that you see all the time. So we've got Sylvia here. We've got Paula here. We got Len here, who was there when Amelia Earhart landed. We got Doug. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, Track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. 
And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, let's get this entrepreneurship party started, shall we? We're going to talk about two pieces today. For the first half of this discussion, we want to talk about how to know when it's time to pivot in your career and financially pull it off. This is written by our friend uh, Mary Beth Storjohan, who's been uh, on the show. She's a certified financial planner, and she dives into this idea of of making a career pivot. And Sylvia, I'm just going to go right to you first, because I know that you didn't start in coaching like this. You made this career pivot, right? You were working the nine to five and decided it was time to work for yourself. I did, but I, I wouldn't quite call it nine to five. I think it was more like seven days a week, more like <laughs> nine 80 to, hours a week. Nine to nine. Nine, yeah. to, <laughs> nine to nine. Uh, so yeah, I started my career in IT consulting, um, straight out of school, worked for a big consulting firm for about 10 years, climbed the corporate ladder. And yeah, I was doing uh, working up to seven days a week, working on big projects. And gosh, I... I ended up taking a leave of absence pretty early in my career. Like I wanted to pivot. I felt like I wasn't making a difference in the world. I was working seven days a week and found out I was helping a Fortune 500 company basically increase their stock price by like five cents or 25 cents. And I'm here like killing myself. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What am I doing? I need to do something different. Uh, so I was going to quit my job, um, actually, but I got advice from a couple of friends in HR that said, you know, just ask for a leave of absence. Oh. Um, so I took a leave of absence and I told them I wanted to be a pharmacist. So going from IT consulting to pharmacist, um, completely like different career path. Yeah, but hold on. Did you really want to be a pharmacist or was that just your lie? No, I did. Well, I tried to. So I guess basically I was hope, I was thinking that maybe healthcare, if I went into healthcare, maybe that would make a difference in people's lives. I was trying to find a pivot into healthcare. I was working financial services, but not in a way that I wanted or felt like I was making a difference in people's lives. So I thought, well, maybe I could be a pharmacist. So I, I did. I actually took a leave of absence, got a part-time job at a local pharmacy and took um, took a science class at a local college because I had never taken science during regular science in college because I was always knew I wanted to do business. So I, I was sitting in basically freshman chemistry and the entire time when I was supposed to be taking notes, listening to the lecture, I was doodling and basically coming up with business ideas. Oh. Like I kept thinking of more and more business ideas that I could launch and like knew that three months in that there was no way I was going to be a pharmacist. So. I gave up that pharmacist dream. But Paula, you made a similar pivot. You were working well, you know, nine to five or nine to nine or whatever for a paper and, and decided you wanted to work for yourself too. Yes, I was. Once upon a time, I was a newspaper reporter and I loved the job. Honestly, if that job had, it, it was just missing certain things like a livable salary and opportunities for advancement, you know, if it had those little <laughs> details worked out. But I'm I'm serious when I I'm not being facetious. 
when oh I say. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's three. <laughs> no, that's um, four. You lost count, Len. Four. Yeah, she had oh, efficacy right. earlier. Uh, that other than those things, I really did like the job. I, I loved the day-to-day of the job. I loved the being in the newsroom. I loved my colleagues. I loved my editor. I loved the... Um, the lifestyle and the pace and and the adre- w- when there was spot news or breaking news like the adrenaline rush uh so yeah the the job fit me very very well i just knew that the future was not going to be in print newspapers and so i made the pivot because basically because broad macroeconomic conditions like the way the industry was moving and shifting mm. sh- um made it clear that we were all going to have to make a pivot at one point or another. And I could either embrace that and be ahead of the curve, or I could swim upstream and get washed ashore. You know, Doug, I think maybe we have to use this device every week because I find myself hinging on Paula's every word, not to really hear what she says, but to hear if there's another big word coming. I I, I don't, you, didn't know this, but for the last year, I just opened my thesaurus in a browser tab every time we do a Friday episode. <laughs> just, to, just to see if we can follow along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Len, back to you. Uh, Mary Beth uh, starts this piece by saying, asking what's your why? And it sounds like for Sylvia and for Paula both, it was kind of thinking first about what's your why? You think that's the common denominator when somebody decides, hey, I, I might want to start my own business? Yeah, I think that there comes a point um, and I'm sure a lot of us out there, I know it's, it's happened to me a couple times where you wonder, you start doubting if what you're doing is even satisfying to yourself. I mean, it, it could be, sometimes it's pay, but sometimes it's, you just don't feel like you're meeting your, your life goal or something. There's something else out there. And so um, that's for a lot of people, I think that's a big reason that'll want them to start a new career. But it seems like even if you're in a career that you like, that's a, that's a great inner discussion to have, like have that now, because I don't know, you, you can't get time back. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. As somebody who's way over on the, over the hill now, I see that more and more. So I, I look back and you don't want to do that. That That is correct. Life is too short. And uh, taking that pivot, it can be scary. But in this article here, it's mentioned that, you know, if you go about it the right way, you can do it smartly and uh, it's worth making the making the pivot if you need to. Well, that's what I want to ask you about, Sylvia, is that uh, Mary Beth uh, writes next that what career pivot makes sense for you? And she's got three. Pivot to a new job, start a career in a new industry, which is what you did, or number three, choose a new career path. Did you think about all three of those? Did you also think about just pivoting to working, doing the same thing, consulting, but for a different company? I thought about it. I took a leave of absence. I actually took a medical leave of absence. Um, That's actually how it all started. During the whole time, I was just thinking, do I find a job that allows me to you know, live at home 100%? Because at the time, I was traveling 100% for my job. I brushed up my resume. I had hired somebody to update my resume and LinkedIn. And as I was starting to apply for jobs and interviews, I could feel myself basically saying what I knew that they wanted to, he- wanted to hear, but like inside, I was personally dying inside. I felt like I was lying, like I wasn't being authentic. It was, again, I was, I was great at my job. I actually was really good at my job, but it didn't feel like I could make a difference. Like I felt like there was something more that I needed to be doing. Well, it's funny because she even says at the bottom of this, Sylvia, that you got to know your limits, right? And it sounds like you were up against your limit. Yeah, I was. I 
had gotten to the point where I needed to be home locally, like consistently. My husband was traveling 100% um, the time. So we wanted to start a family. Um, actually, that was kind of the pivot where we knew one of us needed to stay home and have, you know, kind of be the stable one at home. And with my husband loving his job, we ended up having me stay at home. And I was constantly, I was online, I was reading books, I was going to like small business seminars. That's what I was excited about. Like I would browse the bookstores and just like find different ideas. Um, and everything I was gravitating towards was starting a business. Yeah. Then you clearly know you're in the wrong field. Yes. I knew I was on the wrong field. Like I was saying the right things in the job interviews, but basically cringing and saying like, there's no way I'm not, I'm going to be willing to do that. Um, so yeah, I just started going to a lot of small business uh, seminars, took actually Ramid Safety, what was zero to launch course, just really trying to figure out like what, what business do I want to start? Was that worth it? It was, it got me thinking it actually, it had this whole section about ask your friends or your closest colleagues or last business manager, what your strengths are, what do they typically come to you for? And so I actually interviewed like 10 friends and past managers and the common theme was very, very consistent of what they saw my strengths were, what they would come to me for advice for. And that's what led me down the financial coaching path. Another one uh, uh, on this list here at the end of the piece, Paula, is is to do your research. And I'm wondering when you made your shift, when you saw micro macro economic conditions changing in the newspaper <laughs> industry, did you do a lot of research on where you were headed or was it much more jumping off a sinking ship? Well, similar to what Sylvia said, where she talked about how she, you know, she spoke with friends, colleagues, bosses uh, to ask them what she was good at. Um, What I did was it was sort of adjacent to that. Like I didn't ask people what I was good at. Instead, I talked to a lot of people who had been in the industry for a long time and I asked them what they thought were some of the best moves they had made. And um, Oh, cool. Time after time, the the theme that I kept hearing was anyone who had done any degree of independent work, uh, freelance work, anything that was um, anything in which they bypassed the gatekeepers. They often said that that was and and even if they were still working nine to five, employed full time at a traditional newspaper, they often said that those side projects, the freelance projects, the the independent projects, the um, multimedia projects that they did, you know, those often were the pieces that they were the most proud of and the ones that they felt that they could build upon the most. And so that was kind of what clued me into the reality that the future of news media was going to be independent, self-directed, online, and most likely it was going to be uh, multimedia or, you know, it wasn't going to be rigidly within like the the, the rigid separation of print versus broadcast uh, versus radio was no longer going to be quite so rigid. And this is back in 2007, 2008, yeah, yeah. when that was, you know, uh, an insight. I was thinking about that uh, today. I'm doing this from a hotel room on my book tour. And I was thinking about how much I used to enjoy grabbing the USA Today, right? And now mm-hmm. that's not even a thing. Now you just take your phone down or your laptop to breakfast and you're scrolling the internet because, I mean, I, I didn't even think about going to usatoday.com. Sorry, USA Today. I'll go there if you want to sponsor the show, joe at com. Be happy to to, to, to represent. <laughs> but but, but I, don't even, I don't even remember those days, Paula. Like, I do. I feel like you were predicting the future like we're there the future's now i yeah exactly and i remember on that topic going to um i would go to the denver press club 
where a lot of reporters and people generally in the media would kind of hang out, have drinks, have dinner. Um, there was occasionally a speaker series, but it was also just very much a social club. And I remember people um, who were very resistant to the, the coming change, who kept talking about how much they enjoyed exactly what you just said, Joe. They enjoyed the feeling of a print newspaper in their hands. They enjoyed the holding a red pen while they read through the classifieds, right, right? circling right. things. <laughs> and I noticed that the primary objection that I heard to this this coming change that everyone was talking about uh, was largely emotional. People were nostalgic for like, I enjoy the way it's, I, I enjoy the status quo. Therefore, I don't want to embrace or accept the fact that it's about to change. So I noticed that like that seemed to be the most commonly stated objection. Whereas when I talked to people about, you know, what have you done in your career that you're most proud of? What have you done that you think has pushed the envelope? Like um, oftentimes people would say, you know what? I realized that I can't break news stories anymore because news breaks on Twitter. And so I gave up trying to break the news. And instead, I focused on being the best at uh, contextualizing the news in a second day story. Uh. You know, I would hear people say things like that. And that's how I knew, all right, in the, in the battle between nostalgia versus how things are going. Yeah. It, it you can see how it's it, going. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Len, I want to end this first half of the conversation with you. You're somebody that didn't make the full switch. You, of course, had the award-winning LenPenzo.com blog, but, <laughs> uh, but, did not, but did not make the full switch over there. So where Sylvia was pivoting and Paula was pivoting, you stayed in your main job. But was it primarily the same type of thought process in your head or was there a level of um, just loving what you do? Kind of a, a little bit of both. I, it's the thing is, I would have if I wasn't so late in my career, I probably would have tried to make the complete switch over to media. But um, I was so far along in my career that it really it was too big of a risk for me to to. It was just too much, and so no, you know me, I'm Mister Risk Averse. It's just I didn't want to take that. But also, that in fairness to you, Len, you had four mouths to feed. Well, yeah, of course. That's part of the calculus, right? You're thinking, yeah, yeah. You're thinking about that. that that's right. Now, I will say this, though, that I did make a jump uh, 20 years ago, uh, although I stayed as an engineer, but I did leave a company uh, because I, I wasn't growing. I, I saw my skills. They had me in a position where my skills were not um, growing, and that's like suicide for an engineer. And so I forced myself to change jobs. I was working for one company, been there 10 years, and I really didn't want to change jobs, but I, I felt that I had to because I felt I would stagnate and I'd actually become unmarketable five to 10 years down the road if I stayed there. And so I did make a move in that regard. And that's something you got to look at as well. So Coming up in just a few minutes, we are going to talk about pivots. We're going to pivot to the second part of this discussion is now you've decided to make the pivot. How do we make that successfully? Sylvia Moeeks here is going to help us through that along with Len Penzo and Paula Pant. But before we get there, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for our weekly Friday trivia contest. Uh, every week, if you're brand new to the show, our three contributors to this podcast take part in an epic battle for maybe the world's worst looking trophy 
to see who has uh, trivia supremacy for the upcoming year. And this year, we've got, of course, uh, Paula Pant, Len Penzo, and taking the place of our own OG, uh, going on behalf of him, is uh, Sylvia. So, Sylvia, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Which one would you like first? I'm not sure quite what what to expect. (laughs) Well, you just say good news or bad news. Which one do you want? Let's do good news. All right. The good news is, is you are tied for second. Len Penzo has seven. Uh, You and Paula have five and a half. Now we could characterize that as tied for last. However, we'll go with the glasses at full (laughs) approach that you've got five and a half. You're tied for second. You and Paula tied or OG and Paula tied. But the bad news is that OG got there before Paula, which means according to our very, very, very difficult to follow rules, it means you are going to be guessing uh, second and Paula will guess third. All right. Sounds good. All right. Is that on page, is that on page 417 <laughs> of the rule book? Paragraph <laughs> C subsection two of the trivia rule guide. That's a recent revision. I forgot <laughs> yes, that's about right, that. That's right. Yeah. We had to get the committee back together to uh, to clarify who gets to go first last week when Paula brought that up. I think Paula did. Paula, did you bring that up or did OG bring that up? I don't remember. Um, I'm not sure. I don't really. I don't remember. She she I doesn't. Think... She, she <laughs> no idea. And everybody's everybody's wondering. Does it even matter who brought it up? Yeah. Why did you ask that question? I mean, it, see, it seems like the nitpicky type of thing that OG would bring up. Oh, probably. Let's throw him under the bus because he's not here. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. All right. Those fighting words. <laughs> here we go. Let's see what uh, trivia question we're going to ask you today. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Amelia Earhart fell in love with aviation when she saw a stunt flying exhibition around age 20. Five years to the day after the first flight by Charles Lindbergh on May 20th, 1932, she left from Newfoundland with her propeller aimed squarely at Paris, but stormy weather forced a landing instead in a pasture in Ireland. I can only wonder if, when she wheeled her plane over to the Easy Mart to fill up her gas tank, if she had sticker shock then, like all of us do now, but was it that much smaller of a price than we pay today? So... My question is, how much in 1932 dollars did it cost her for a full tank of gas for her Lockheed Vega 5B? I'll be back with an answer right after I check the wind conditions. Not because I'm flying, but because Joe's mom just had ice cream and she's lactose intolerant. You do not want to be downwind of that. Oh, boy. Oh, no. (laughs) It was going so well before the end there. Hey, uh, so uh, Len Penzo, you're going first. $19.32. She's got this plane to fill up with gas. (laughs) How much? How much? Maybe she was lactose intolerant, too. (laughs) Oh, my God. How, what are you asking me with the price of to fill up her tank? Yes, was? in nineteen thirty-two dollars. <laughs> this is as straightforward as it gets, Penzo. Oh my God! How I have no clue the fuel tank size of a that plane. Let's see. I know that plane carried two people. Wasn't two people on that plane? The the Vega Five B was actually originally a seven passenger uh, slash cargo plane, oh, but of course it. she stripped it all. 
Well, they must have in, in, enlarged the gas tank on that one then, huh? To get it they across the Atlantic? Actually, they didn't exa- actually enlarge the gas tank, but they did strip all the weight of wow, the seats this, and everything Thanks else. for all these extra hints. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say, I, I think gasoline back, well, this is jet fuel, which is which is a little different. But it's kind of, it's probably the equivalent to diesel, kerosene. Uh, it's probably all close. I think gasoline back then was like a quarter or 30 cents a gallon. Let's say, did you say the year? <laughs> I don't even 32, know. 32, I believe, right? 1932. Doug? Yeah. 1932. Yeah. All right. I'll say, I don't know. I'll say 30 cents a gallon times 1000 gallons, whatever that is. You, We're not you, doing the math for you, Penzo. Wow. <laughs> oh, do I have to do the math? 30 cents a gallon times 1,000 is 300? Is that right? Can I use my calculator? Uh, yes. We wouldn't have known if you just did 30, it. 30, 3, <laughs> 3, oh no, 30, 30. 0.3 <laughs> times 1,000. Yeah, that's 300. Oh no. No. That's not right. 1,000 times 0.3. That is correct. 300. It's 300. I'll say $300. $300. All right. I'm exhausted, but, uh, <laughs> but, but Sylvia, you get to go next. So what type of uh, 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 quadratic physics equation do you want to apply to this thing? Yeah, I, I'm just going to take a massive guess. I, I'm not doing formulas in my head like Len is, so I'm just <laughs> going to throw a number like one, 178. $178. Well, Paula, Sylvia gave you a nice field goal there. Where are you going to kick it? I am, I'm just going to capture the upside and guess 301. Oh, you think they're both shy? Possibly, possibly. I mean, 30 cents a gallon sounds pretty cheap. It was 1932, right, Paula. Paula. I know, but still. I, I, 31 cents a gallon, that seems reasonable. That being said, 1,000 gallons sounds like a lot, but I mean... Well, I didn't want to do yeah. like 621. I mean, the math would be even more hard. So I was just trying to pick a round number. Right. Yeah. No, let's just <laughs> let's go with 301 and see how it goes. Paul is like s- seven years of uh, trivia futility in a row. What could go wrong? <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, we got all the answers locked and loaded. We'd love to tell you who's right, but we don't play that way. We'll be right back. Hey, Staggers is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. you got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st, so get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. 
Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, we kick things off here with uh, Mr. Penzo having to take out the calculator. I don't know that we've had him actually take out the calculator before, but uh, 300 bucks. You feeling pretty good about that now, Len? Uh, I'm half good because Paula, Paula, Chelsea, Brennan, me at the, to the high side. So, uh, well, I, I, eh, we'll see. Luckily, Sylvia gave you a little room there on the, on the downside. A little bit. Sylvia, uh, 178 bucks. Uh, Paula thought it's the upside. So you got the whole downside. Is that good news or bad news? You think? I think let's say bad news. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're about to know. see Paula 301. I mean, you know, I, it's either upside or downside. So I think, uh, I think both Sylvia and I are in good positions. We're going to see who's better right about now. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Gas, the non-ice cream-induced kind, was a whopping 18 cents a gallon oh, when Earhart sh- took off. So I guess it's safe to say she wasn't in California. She was flying a Lockheed Vega 5B with 161 gallons of fuel. And right about now, Len is realizing he's screwed. (laughs) And I I can already see Paula Pantier smoking. 18 cents a gallon then, when factoring in inflation, means the cost today would have been $3.44 a gallon. So I'm going to carry the one, multiply those two by the power of the total would have been $558. So, zooming back into the past, how much did Earhart pay way back then? Which is all we care about for this question. Around $29, which means Sylvia and OG what? are our winners. <laughs> nice job, Sylvia. Thank you, thank you. How big is that tank? 161 gallons. Yeah, I kind of thought a thousand was a little big. That doesn't, that, wait a minute. How the heck does she get across country? Well, she only went from Newfoundland, Newfoundland to Ireland. So that's, if you go look at a globe, it's not as far as you think. But how is she She going to go across the the Pacific Ocean? She didn't. This was a totally different trip, dude. This was like a different thing she did. This was the Atlantic. We tried to tell you that at the start of the show, (laughs) Len. How'd she grow across the Pacific to to, to Ireland from Newfoundland? (laughs) But the Atlantic is still a pretty big ocean. (laughs) I'm just saying. 
Yes. Yeah, when you're down at oh, Florida, right. it is. But if you go all the way up to Newfoundland and fly across to Ireland, you pretty much could skip a rock across that. I, you know what? I need to pay more attention to, to Doug. I, 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 I don't know. I was just thinking going <laughs> Boy, across. You need that plane to go across the Pacific. So that's why I was thinking this huge I have, tank. Of I have never heard you utter the phrase, I got to pay more attention to Doug. What <laughs> <laughs> will you ever again? I don't know anybody's ever done that. All right. You know, it's time that we did this. Don't want to give our guest too much time to gloat that she kicked our butts on trivia. So the second half of the show comes to us courtesy from of uh, MagnifyMoney.com. Wait, we go to- Joe. Joe, so you said so what you're saying is you you don't want to give her time to be supercilious. Super Oh wow. <laughs> wow. Paula four Len one. And, and I can hear Sylvia right now grabbing the dictionary to, to join in in this. Yeah, seriously. I didn't think I needed a thesaurus by me, but uh, I'll, I'll think about it next time. I know. I, I feel bad that Karen and I did not prep you for that. We got a, another <laughs> challenge going on. But the second half of the show comes to us courtesy of MagnifyMoney.com. Mr. Penzo, when you go to StackyBenjamins.com slash MagnifyMoney, you know what you find? Uh, two bits and a... And a uh, Amelia Earhart. You saved plane? two bits. I don't know. Well, two bits you in nineteen. Well, in nineteen thirty-two, money, which is a ton of money today. Well, what what about uh, yeah? And and something about ninety-two percent of all. Uh, I don't know. You better do this yourself. I'm probably <laughs> screwed this up. You were good though. Ninety-two <laughs> percent of all those brick and mortar financial products you use every day uh maybe not best in class actually that that's not it at all it's over 92 percent of the products available online ranked against those products you use at brick and mortar banks and many of them yes. way better stackybenjamins.com slash magnify money for savings accounts checking accounts even cd rates starting to come up and it's, it's about and that's time. in that's in 2022 dollars 2022 dollars yes okay yes very good all right uh, in the second half here, we're going to talk about if you're ready to start your small business, what are some things that you should really think about? We've got a piece to guide us. This is from themuse.com. We've had the creators of the Muse on the show, uh, but this is written by Brooke Porter Cat. Starting your own business, it's the ultimate career pivot, she writes. These successful entrepreneurs show us how it's done and dives into a few things. Number one place they start Sylvia is the person who uh, helps a lot of people do this stuff. Uh, She starts off with do your research. Once you've been clear and you're ready to pivot, is that job one doing your research? I think doing the research is job one, um, but job number two that she had on there about make your, make a plan. Absolutely. Hands down business plan. When I work with small business clients, the ones that are struggling financially have never even written a business plan or maybe their their business has pivoted so much that it doesn't even look anything like close to what they started with. So absolutely making um, creating a business plan is where I see a lot of small business owners fail. The the interesting thing about a business plan is that over the years, you know, you read some of these, I don't know, online business plans and they just seem, Sylvia, like they're not really they're like business plans for a banker, not not for you to actually use. What are the key parts? If I'm going to write a business plan, what are two or three of the key things I really need in that plan? Uh, you make a great point. Absolutely. When I help my clients with business plans, it's not to get funding 
So again, not to written for a bank, but more making sure that you've got all your thoughts on paper, making sure that you know what your mission is, like who your ideal customer um, is because we talked about most of us started our business because we wanted to make an impact. Um, so really, what like what is your mission? Why do you want to start this business? Um, I've had clients who actually completely pivoted, pivoted their business after writing their business plan, working through with me and realizing that the business that they started was actually not what they oh, wow. really intended to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So it, they were going through the motions and they weren't, the business wasn't growing because they weren't 100%, you know, fulfilled with that business and completely pivoted. So definitely the business plan, the mission, um, your ideal customer, um, as well as pricing. So just, I have my clients just go through and write down, like, how are you going to solve your ideal customer's biggest pain points? Um, and figuring out, just walking through what are the offerings and what are your pricing? Because that's what a lot of small business owners just don't take the time to think through. Well, and I can see you going through the pricing with people, Sylvia, and all of a sudden realizing that while this is a great idea, there's a reason why it feels like nobody's doing it because you can't make money doing it. Yes, exactly. So making sure that it's something that people are willing to pay for and also that you can actually be profitable. So a lot of business owners don't take that time to do it. And so a lot of folks who will do a business plan after the fact will now see why their business, they're not making enough money or they're not even able to pay themselves an owner's draw. Now, Len, Sylvia's talking about people making the move full-time, but I'm wondering when you created LenPenzo.com, I know it was kind of a passion project, but did you do any type of business plan before you started doing it? Was Was part of the goal to monetize it or was it just to have fun writing on the internet? No, it was just to have fun. It had nothing – business – didn't even think about making money when I was doing it. I was just trying to kill some time. You know, one thing I will bring up though real quick is a, part another key part when we – I do business analyses too sometimes when we're trying to get into new businesses uh, with in my job and trying to break in. And one of the first things we do is we evaluate the competition and we try to lay out their strengths and their weaknesses. And then we try to use that to shoehorn in where we can find a – a place to, to sneak into the market. So that's something you should also do too. Oh, that's great. Great advice. Paula, for you, when you made the pivot, how pivotal was the, <laughs> was the business plan? I did not have a business plan. You did day, not? I nope. I, to this day, I still have never written a business plan. Do you feel like it's a mistake? Nope. I feel totally fine without one. And why is that? Well, I think... Number one, my business has iterated multiple times, and each iteration has not been a a conscious decision of mine. It sounds kind of strange to say that, but each iteration has not been me trying to impose my reality on the world, but rather it's been me stepping back, assessing what the market is telling me, you know, and... Uh, but isn't but, hey? But wait a minute! Isn't that really what Sylvia is talking about? Is that this process of of writing the business plan is seeing is this viable? Should I go into this business? And is the market telling me that this is something people actually want? I feel like you're you're really saying the same sure. thing. Sure, yeah, but I just didn't go through the formal exercise of writing anything down. But I would think that when you pivot to a new product, you certainly go through those same steps. I mean, I have validated ideas. But also, I've taken a few ideas and run with them far past the point that anyone thought it was wise to run with them, you know, afford anything being the the primary one. So, Paula, what about your education? You had that educational course, right, on your site. So, So you didn't just jump into that, right? I'm sure you laid out what was out there, right, and said, hey, there's a hole out there that needs to be filled and, and I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to create this 
this no, course. No, I didn't. Re- I didn't really have a sense of what else was out there. Like I didn't look at really? the competition. Um, I instead just noticed that a lot of people were asking me questions about this particular topic. Uh, the topic being real estate investing. I was getting so many questions about it. I was getting tired of just repeating the same answers over and over and over. So I was like, you know what? If I can just build a course on this, then that'll save me from having to repeat the same answers again and again. And then what I did do was before I invested a bunch of money into like really building it into a premium product, I validated whether or not it would sell by pre-selling it. So um, in that regard, yeah, basically I validated should I not invest a bunch of money into this and offer it for free or should I invest a whole bunch of money into making this premium and sell it? You know, I validated that by pre-selling it and by virtue of pre-selling it, I raised the money that I could then use to invest back into it to make it a premium product. Yeah, so you did a you did a market analysis. Well, I didn't call it that. I just uh, but it's put still up a so- website. I, I put up a website that said, hey, everybody, I'm thinking about building this. If you are interested, you can buy it at a discount by being a beta tester right now. And then once I got the first 50 orders, I knew that, A, there was proof of concept, and B, I had a budget, a budget for development. Sylvia, is, is Paula talking semantics? Is this what you're talking about, or is this something different? It's not quite semantics, but I think Paula has done such a great job. I, that's actually what I do tell clients, like test the marketplace. So exactly with pre-selling, that's what I did with my, my course as well. And what I tell my clients is make sure that your great idea that you think you want to build, like make sure you don't spend three to six months building it, like test it out, like tell people about it, discount, I, I beta beta price, people love to get in on the beta price, right? Like they're a little bit more forgiving on the first time, right? So if you say you're getting in, um, you'll give me feedback and, you know, basically before I turn it into a premium product. Um, but yeah, Paula's, I mean, I I think that Paula probably wrote the business plan in her head because exactly all the things that I see pitfalls on, like Paula's already doing it. She's just reiterating and doing it live, like in person. Yeah. And she probably has some big word to explain all of it too, Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. The, the market testing con that's really what Kickstarter's whole business model is. I mean, they provide uh, a test market for, you know, proofs of concept. Yeah, there are enough people that want to buy this to make it economically viable. Hey, we're thinking about making this cool new thing for a camera or whatever and see how many people bite. And I also love the fact, Doug, I think it's a great analogy. It's got to be far enough along in development that it's actually worth putting up on a Kickstarter site in a competitive environment. So you at least got to do a good job of minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, uh, number three on this list, uh, Sylvia is build your online presence. So the first we've got, we've got the number two here is make a plan. Number one, do your research, build your online presence, you know, for a guy that's in his mid fifties, I think really is that there, but then I think how else are you going to find your customer? Do you see that as the very next thing to do? It's important. Um, I will say that I, I advise a lot of folks if they're just testing out, don't spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a very pretty website because you don't know if it, it's going to convert. Um, I see a lot of people who will spend, you know, $3,000 on a pretty website and they haven't tested their idea or they don't haven't crafted their message so that, you know, that people are are interested and willing to, to purchase or follow. Um, so I definitely, with so much social media out there that's free, um, there's easy ways to test out your, you know, your business idea without spending thousands of dollars on a website. 
And I just noticed that this might be some product placement in here. <laughs> I'm like, why is that number three? And then it says, uh, for that, he turned to Squarespace. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, saw crazy that. Crazy product placement all over the article. Yeah. Yes, like, all over. Wow. For, for who the, would ever do that? I know. For that Lempenzo, he'd go to a cigar shop. Yeah. That's what, he, that's what like, he'd do. Well, I noticed I noticed there wasn't an affiliate link to that Squarespace, so yeah, yeah, Opportun- opportunities. Yeah, uh, 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 but I do like number four, uh, which is which is to not be afraid to ask for help, Len. Well, that's true, and and it, you know that's it always helps to have other people um, doing things that you can't do. I mean, because one of the things you know even with, with what my blog now is it helps to pay people to do things that are a waste of your time and allows you to focus on other areas. So help can be, it, it can actually, even if you're expending some money paying people to do certain things, it actually works out for you better in the long run. And besides, you know, the thing is it's the teamwork model. It, it's really important to me because I think it, it helps put the blame on others. When <laughs> it's, so. not, it's not my fault. It's somebody else. I love that. So I'm, a, I'm a big fan of teamwork. I can throw somebody else under the bus then. <laughs> Len comes you know, to the though, table with the knife out. Yeah. <laughs> That's like when I, I'm so, hiring too. I always tell people, uh, I'll say like, like don't, don't think of me as your boss. Think of me as your friend who who can fire you. So nice. that's, that's oh my. no, no pressure there. Uh, Doug, I don't know. Something the, the way Len just mentioned teamwork made me think about times when I had hung a shingle and the first time certainly did not realize what it truly means to be a self starter. That's a, that's a trait that often gets talked about in the corporate world and interviewing. Are you a self starter? And everybody thinks they are until it relies or, or, or the entire success of the business is entirely reliant upon you and being able to be a self-starter for all of the different aspects of the business, marketing and content production and whatever it is that you're going into. I don't think a lot, I think a lot of people underestimate just how much motivation you have to have. Motivation is very different than desire. So lots of people, I think, go off and get into business for themselves because they're tired of somebody else telling them what to do. They think the people in charge have their heads up there, you know where. They decide, I can do this better and I'm just, I'm going to try it. And then they just don't realize that sometimes when there's nobody there saying, hey, can you go look into this? I need this thing by Thursday, Mm -hmm. which is often the time, the thing that gets people moving in a corporate world. There's nobody there to do that. And and I think it's something people go in um, less aware, self-aware of their own uh, strength in that area. Yeah. Uh, Paulette Perhatch joins us. Did you go right into uh, freelance writing or did you start off working for somebody else and then make the pivot? Hey, yeah. Like Paula, I used to be a reporter. I interned at a magazine and then I did Peace Corps and Peace Corps kind of ruins you as someone <laughs> who can deal with a boss. Uh, it just kind of made me wild and I never wanted to go into like a structured environment again. I did have to due to uh, bad financial choices, which are my uh, forte. So I got a really good job writing proposals for a tech company and I helped sell $10 million of tech products over three years. And I was like, you know what? I kick ass for my boss and I'm going to try to kick ass for myself. So I went, uh, I went freelance and I've been really 
enjoying how much of a creative process it can be. Like I like all the talk about iterating. I almost think of your business as like your first draft, your second draft, you know, and figuring out kind of where you belong. I feel like just working with you for several months now that you're really more and more, uh, Paulette, though, focusing on the business of writing. Like, I don't know, initially it feels to me like you had the writing talent, but now you're making sure that you have business and structure in place. Totally. I mean, I love talking about craft. I love poems. I love all that. But what I really see as the missing piece of what people help artists with and what people help businesses with who want to, you know, get more uh, storytelling in their business is, is the relationship and the power of writing plus business and really those fundamentals. So I am very inspired by helping uh, writers be financially safe and figuring out how that all works. But, you know, I try to get up in the morning and I, you know, do my uh, very important meeting meditation and free write and definitely, you know, still sell my little sad essays for like two contributors copies to <laughs> literary magazines. And then I come and make the big bucks for you guys. But you keep me right. But you, in podcasting where all the money is. The, the, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but I like that. I like how structured that is. I like the fact that you that you focus on the business of writing and still have this piece that is the art of it. And I think even artists need to make sure. I don't know. As I go around the country and I meet people, like, well, I'm into the arts, but even artists need to have the the business in place. Sylvia, I'm going to give you the last word here before we say goodbye. The, the the biggest thing when you see people make this pivot, when you're counseling people, what's the biggest mistake they make? The biggest mistake is just underestimating the finances. I know a lot of business owners who say, oh, I'm not good at finances. I just want to focus on my business. I'm going to outsource this to a CPA. And a CPA is, they can tell your taxes. They can help you with your taxes, but they're not going to help you understand, are you pricing your products and services in a, in a way that you are profitable? Um, so you really, all business owners really need to get down to the fundamentals and understand, are they offering you know products and services that are meeting their ideal customers' um, burning needs, right, or pain points? And are they pricing in a way that they can pay themselves? They can pay for help. We talked about, um, you know, hiring a team of people and just having money left over um, to actually reinvest back into the business. Love that. Absolutely love that. Business, business first. And uh, and realizing that that the business works for you, not you working for the business, right? I, f- I see too many entrepreneurs where they work for the business instead of the other way around. Absolutely. I see a lot of people who will co- basically commingle and think of themselves one and the same as a business. So the business may be making six figures. Uh, I've had clients who make six figures, but come to find out they've worked from, had their business for 10 to 13 years and have never paid them an owner, themselves oh, an owner's straw. Yeah. So essentially they were working for free, right? Like working for free. They were never taking home anything into their personal lives. So yeah. uh, definitely, you know, while you are starting your business, you got to kind of think like a CEO and make sure that you are paying everybody, including yourself um, by pricing your services in a way that you're profitable. Love the idea of pay yourself first. And I think that's a great place to end this. Let's find out uh, what all of you are up to right about now. And we'll have our guest of honor go last. Mr. Penzo, what's going on at limpenzo.com, my friend? You know, I came to the conclusion recently after doing an experiment on premium gasoline, running it in my car that doesn't take premium gasoline. I had a coworker who was telling me that he was putting premium gas in his car because he gets better gas mileage, even though his car doesn't take premium gas. So I did my own one-month-long experiment putting premium gas into my uh, car that takes regular gasoline, and I go over the results. 
And I will say this, though, as one conclusion, I came to the conclusion that premium gas is a lot like male enhancement drugs. And I go over the comparisons in this article uh, <laughs> of premium gas to male enhancement drugs. So that's the kind of stuff that you get over at lenpenzo.com. And that's why I always go before Paula because I don't want to <laughs> Uh, Paula, what Nobel Prize winner are you going to be talking to? <laughs> We're just thinking, and that's the kind of stuff that Kiplinger awards best personal finance. Right, for. <laughs> exactly. And that's all found at lempenzo.com. But that's why we love it, right? <laughs> Paula, what's going on at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, uh, Bill Bengen, the guy who invented the 4% safe withdrawal rule for an, for retirement, not, not male enhancement related safe withdrawal. That's a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> she just, just gave a joke. Holy, Good one, Paula. Holy, holy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bill Bengen, the guy who invented the 4% retirement safe withdrawal rule, joins us on the Afford Anything podcast to talk about the math behind uh, that discovery and the research behind that discovery, as well as follow-up research around how much you can save for retirement and how much you can spend in retirement. Ah, and it's a banging interview. I think I've done that before. Uh, I think did you I, ask him what made him? Did you ask him what how he came up with that the name for that that methodology, the four percent withdrawal method? How did he come up with that? There's, I think they, he dove into the subtext line of how the whole thing works and. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, roundabout way. I mean, he could have he could have called it the seven percent withdrawal or the he could have, but but it wouldn't have worked then. <laughs> it is technically four point two percent, so you know the uh, okay. the name doesn't quite match the research findings. I think there is. We should on this show. We should, Doug. We should have the seven percent withdrawal method and just tell people it doesn't work. But but, but it's a method. <laughs> it is. It is a method. It's one method. <laughs> Have you ever tried the Stacky Benjamin 7% method? It's, You're real happy for, for a short period. For a while, it's going great. I'm withdrawing way more money than you because I'm using the Stacky Benjamin's 7% method. And we're all about happiness. Yes, absolutely. All about happiness. Sylvia's wondering what the hell she's doing here. Sylvia Mo Inks, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Um, what I'm working on next, I'm relaunching my online course. Um, Paula mentioned she also has an online course. I have an online course for small business owners on how to make more money, save money, and make more money. So uh, you definitely can find out about my program at um, smifinancialcoaching.com forward slash master the money. SMIfinancialcoaching.com slash master the money. Yep, that's it. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It is about time. Let's not have it be five years until we do this again, Sylvia. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, I'm pretty and, sure after today, Joe, it's going to be her choice to have it be five years. Right? <laughs> She's going to be like, how about seven years? 
It's like, let's, let's see if we can go nine. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. We we love the fact that you uh, uh, spend time with us. By the way, if tonight you are in uh, Little Rock, Little Rock, we're coming to see you. Stackybenjamins.com slash stacked for our amazing uh, book tour. And then coming in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be in Kansas City, Omaha, Des Moines, St. Louis. We're doing the heartland stackybenjamins.com slash stacked uh, for details. All right, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? First, wondering how to set up your new side hustle or full-on business? Start with a plan and be conservative. It's always better to overachieve than to rest your dreams on great things that never materialize. Second, it's never too late to pivot in your career. You've just got to have a plan, understand the finances of the business you're going into, and have the motivation to be a self-starter. But the big lesson, the cheapest place to find gas? Yeah, it turns out that's 1932. You know, or just buy a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream for Joe's mom. Either approach results in cheap gas. Thanks to Sylvia Mo Inks for joining us today. Her book, Small Business Finance for the Busy Entrepreneur, is available on either side of the Atlantic. Thanks to Paula Pant for joining us today. You'll find her podcast, Afford Anything, wherever you're listening to us right now. Thanks to Len Penzo. You can find all things Len Penzo at, believe it or not, lenpenzo.com forward slash tree surgeon. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is written in part by Paulette Perhatch, who helps thought leaders add power to their written words with storytelling, style, and humor. Need help with a blog, book, or speech? Pass it off to Paulette at thatwriterpaulette.com. Thanks also to our team who made today possible. Karen Repine is our producer. Tina Eichenberg and Gertrude Smith are our social media mavens. And Brooke Miller handles the show notes and our amazing newsletter, The 201. Not only should you not take advice from these meatheads, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. That's it for today. We'll see you back here on Monday on Stacking Benjamins. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens on the after show stays on the after show. And you know what I thought we'd do? Um, I thought, you know, we talk movies a lot. We talk TV shows a lot here, but we don't talk about our, our favorite movies or TV shows about business. Um, and here as we end our Delph Podference, 
a week and our small business week, I thought that this would be really fun. So, uh, you know, there's a documentary that I really like and, 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 uh, I can hear, I don't even know if I want to tell this just because Doug's going to give me grief for what it's about, but it is, it's, it's fantastic. And it's called the September issue. Doug, have you seen the September issue? I haven't, but I know you've talked about it quite a bit, though I'm in- intrigued to hear it again. Please share it again. <laughs> it's, it's the story of Anna Wintour and Vogue magazine and how they make their sub- big September issue of, of Vogue. Would you like me to go into detail about why it's so great, Doug? You know, for everybody else's benefit, yeah. <laughs> Just from the beginning. I've already taken notes on this. I could just read you my notes of all the things you've told me over the. I've last told you like years. sixty-seven times about this thing, and you still haven't seen it. I can't believe you haven't seen it yet. Can't imagine why not. It's just because it's about Anna Wintour, it, it, who is such a thought leader, and obviously is the subject of the movie Devil Wears Prada, and um, just an iconic person. Len, have you seen the September issue? <laughs> Uh, many of them. Yes. yes. They're, they're under my bed. <laughs> that got creepy in a hurry. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have gone to lead. Led, led, let's pivot quickly. What is your, what is your, uh, what's a, what's either a documentary TV show movie about business you really like? Um, I, you know, I love the big short. I love that one. Oh yeah. Uh, um, that's specifically then, about the business of finance. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I love it's old like me, but it's Wall Street. I love Wall Street. Yes. And one of the the big kicks I get out of Wall Street, I, I every time I see this, that scene where Michael Douglas is holding that, you know, he's trying to be cool, he's on the beach talking on the cell phone. Of course, this is 1980 seven and the cell phone's about the size of a shoebox right. you know and it's got an antenna sticking out the end but he's so, so cool you know and then it just seems stuff. very cool that he has one <laughs> yeah. the fact that he's carrying yes. one is just but amazing I get, a kick out of, I get a kick out of that every time kids watching that movie today are like really yeah, they're like what the heck is that on his on his ear? Yes, there are so many iconic lines from that movie. I remember he's on the phone when Bud Fox comes in. He plays uh, uh, Michael Douglas plays Gordon Gecko, who's this big figure on Wall Street that uh, Bud Fox is trying to do business with, and he goes into his office and. Gordon Gecko's yelling into his phone. Michael Douglas yelling into his phone that if this guy owned a funeral parlor, nobody'd die. And I just, I can't tell you how many times I've thought that, like bad business people, they own a funeral parlor and nobody'd die. Good stuff. Paula, how about you? Yeah, you're a big fan of the movie Wall Street. I'm sure you've seen it like 67 times. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to, I've been literally racking my brain just trying to think of a movie I've seen. Have I seen one? (laughs) Not even finance. Yes. Right. Just, does Jumanji count? Right. (laughs) I know. Well, there was Jurassic Park about a failed business idea. Well, there you go. <laughs> yes. But you didn't see it, so it doesn't matter. I did see Jurassic oh. Park. That's one of the few. I was thinking about that the other day. I've missed blo- I, I missed uh, Ghostbusters. I missed Wayne's World, but I, I caught Jurassic Park. <laughs> what happened? Did Jurassic Park scare you uh, away from watching other movies? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, basically. Just trying to wonder. <laughs> but that is a business movie, right? It's a horrible business idea. Let's bring back these extinct things. Right? Act, well, sure. I guess we can call that a business movie. Um, uh, the Office, a television show about yes. work. Yes, there we go. Uh, Garfield, 
because John Arbuckle has a job and um, <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Maybe slightly. Can I? Yes. Can I say something maybe that will, will be real? Unless, unless Sylvia has something. Oh, yeah. We should let her go. Yeah, absolutely. Got her guest of honor. I feel like Paula. I'm trying to rack my brains of like movies that I've like actually watched. So I'm I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Well, then I need to buy you some time, Sylvia. You want me to buy you some time? Yes. Okay, you got it. I'm good at this. Like when we're at restaurants and people don't know what they're going to order, I'm really good at ordering really slowly and asking what like all the condiments are that they have available or like buy people times like that scene in Portlandia. So where was this chicken raised? Right. What was the grass in the free range environment? Was that a Kentucky or a Bermuda? Uh, so I have three that come to mind quickly. Oh my um, goodness. I have seven. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I could go on, but I have three that, that like right forefront of my mind. Um, one is boiler room. Mm. Uh, now it, it's more about, you know, penny stock trading and, yes. and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of cautionary tale in there, Good. both on both sides of the coin Good. as a customer or as somebody wanting to get into business, looking for, you know, get rich quick type approaches. Is Boiler Room, Boiler Room is another take on Jordan Belfort, isn't it? I don't think so. And the Wolf but it of is, Wall Street? It could be. It yeah. could be. That's a great question. I don't really know, but I feel like. It wasn't, but it is. I mean, it's penny yeah, stock trading, it and it's. I don't think it was, but but, yeah, but same problem, different. Uh, yeah, different. I, yeah, players. yeah, and I, yeah, I just really like it. Um, Boiler Room's great. Uh, the founder about McDonald's. Oh, and Mike, I like Mike that. Oh, one. that was a good one. Yes. Yeah, I like that one a lot. And then I also really like Tucker. Tucker was Did a really ever? good man. That's a poll from what nineteen ninety. Like when did Tucker come out? Yeah, great question. That is a long time ago. I can find that for you. I'm quickly, looking this up. 1988. Man, I almost got it. What is that? It's about? just a feel-good story about somebody who just has, just is is gonna in the face of everything is just gonna succeed no matter what through sheer optimism and determination. Well, uh, uh, so he makes a car called the Tucker, right? Oh. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, and this is Jeff Bridges. That's a true story. It is yes. Jeff Bridges. Yes. True you story. say it's a yep. feel good story, but but we're not I driving do. tuckers around. No, right he now. fails. But it was sort of like he was. I mean, he got to a point where, and this could be revisionist history or in my memory of choosing to remember the parts I liked. So maybe I'll go watch it and realize I had no idea what I was really watching. But uh, you know, he sort of he he kept moving the goalposts for himself to redefine success for himself. And I kind of liked that. I mean, he realized he, he had to come to grips with the fact that he was not going to be the next general motors. Uh, they were beating him at every turn with all kinds of, you know, political influence and, and otherwise, but he just needed to get a few cars off the line. It got even, he retreated to the point where he was going to be happy and excited, even if he just got a few cars off the line. And he did that. And the guy had, he just persevered, for happiness, for his own personal satisfaction and happiness, and and I just love that kind of one person's journey. It got a Golden Globe winning nomination, a British Academy uh, Film Award, a BAFA, and got uh, National Society of Film Critics Award as as well. Although the IMDb is is horrible, it's six point nine on the scale of one to ten. Oop. So oh, I've I've watched a lot worse than six point nine. Hey, All right. How about Glengarry Glenn Ross? So, yeah, I love Glengarry Glenn Ross. And I thought about bringing that up, Glenn. Glenn. Ha! Len. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? 
<laughs> but uh, I wasn't sure if that was really a business movie or not. But man, David Mamet is one of well, the best about playwrights sales. that we've produced, yes. and it's about sales. And you so, got to be w- so good. You also have to be willing to watch a play, not a movie. That's right. Yeah, it just sort of starts in the middle of nowhere and, and it just stops. The movie doesn't really have an ending. It just stops. Always be closing. Yeah. So, so and, and actually, actually, there's a lot of correlation between that and a couple of scenes in Boiler Room. Just like the scene where Alec Baldwin comes in and gives oh, that God. whole ABC Classic. in first place and second place yeah. and third place. Ben Affleck has nearly the same scene in uh, Boiler Room. I mean, in a well, sense. If we're counting theater, can I name the producers as sort of? <laughs> oh yeah, it, I mean there are some business lessons there, kind uh, of <laughs> around what not to do. Don't make a song called what? Uh, 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 springtime for Hitler? What's that springtime. song called? Yes. Exactly, springtime for Hitler in Germany. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sylvia, last chance. We're giving you all the all time. All right. So yes, thank you for the extra time. So no, I remember Jerry Maguire. Oh, there we go. Uh, very, very relevant to all the conversations we had, right? So he got fired from his sports agency and decided that he thought he could do it better on his own and started started up. Uh, that's somebody uh, pivoting right there. Own. Yeah, pivoting. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, good one. No, that's that a- line. Show me the money, right? <laughs> that's right. I I uh, uh, I remember I wrote a mission statement once at like two thirty in the morning, and uh, that may or may not have been slightly alcohol fueled. And uh, yeah, I woke up the next morning, could only read like the first half of it i'm sure the second half was pretty good but uh but at the time it felt like uh something very important and everybody's like what do we do with that (laughs) i just remember i had i i wasn't really thinking of it as a business movie but as a sports movie and i had my oldest son who was just a huge sports freak and he was probably 11 or 12 and we were driving some he's probably 11 and i played that in the dvd player in the car completely forgetting about one of the key early scenes in the movie um which oh. there's i can't even repeat Not, here but yeah. it was uh, you know i couldn't turn that dvd off fast enough <laughs> like hand cut <laughs> yeah father father of the year word goes to doug no i've got a few of those on my shelf well stackers the show is over but the party is just beginning here you know why because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.